Hi there and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it. It's Cortez. If freeze and chubbies in it. It's Cortez. Leave your mark. It's about inspiring the world. One guess at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb. It's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. This is Leave Your Mark. I'm Vince Cortez, and today's guest, I have the honor of Mr. Howard Leonhardt. Howard is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Leonhardt Ventures, the bioelectrics and biologics regeneration and healing. He's an inventor and a serial entrepreneur. And let me tell you the numbers that I'm going to share with you that serial entrepreneur is very true. He has 21 U.S. patents with over 100 more patents claimed for products treating cardiovascular disease. Howard, I have to ask, where do you find the time of the day to get all of this accomplished? Like, that's like self-discipline and motivation, everything you can think of, like all the ingredients you would need to have to like be on fire. And that's how your resume would read right there. That's just impressive. Thank you very much. You are a driven man, to say the least. So I like listening to your interviews because you're um, you're like you're very authentic in that you're you live what you do, but um, you have a tenacity to you about finding out how this is going to work or getting what it is you're you're working on to accomplish to work or the that end result you're seeking. So you're very entertaining talking to you about that now what i want to do is is for my audience i want to talk to you about where you were born and raised and start your story back when you're a little kid thank thank you again so much for this opportunity vince uh i, I was born just outside of uh, minneapolis minnesota 1961 and uh had a two great parents my mother passed away of cancer at age 49, but my dad's still alive. Uh, my uh, father was a machinist and uh, uh, head of maintenance and uh, for a large uh, printing company, a rather large printing company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And my mom, uh, she ran an interior decorating and uh, uh, design business out of our, our home. Uh, she, she sewed curtains and pillows and decorated houses and created her own uh, line of dresses. Uh, her company wow. was called PK Original. She's very good on a sewing machine. Yeah. She would uh, get us kids to bed at 8.30 or 9, and I would hear that sewing machine running until like 1 a.m. She would just uh, oh, wow. work and work and work. Now, you, you mentioned you had siblings. Where, where were you in the birth order? How many of you were there? Yeah, I was the oldest, and uh, I have my brother, David, who's five years younger, and my sister, Jennifer, who's 16 years younger than, than myself. That's interesting. Now, um, are you close with them? Yes, yes. My sister uh, has two kids. She lives in Atlanta. She's a lawyer, graduate from the University of Florida. And my brother uh, operates his own pharmaceutical wholesale business up in, up in Minneapolis. And we try to get together uh, whenever we can. Now, the, the pharmaceuticals, that was sort of what you were into when you first got out of school, too. So that seems to be in the DNA on your side of the family. My brother and I worked together for a lot, lot of years, and I oriented, oriented more to the medical devices, and he oriented more to the medicines. But we uh, we did have a, a, a 
that time period where uh, we, we worked together in an export trading company in, in Southern Florida. Okay, so you grew up in Florida then. So um, your what was your childhood like? Um, do you have childhood experiences that were fond you can think of? Christmases or holidays? In Minneapolis, and uh, it was a, it was a, a nice upbringing. Uh, and uh, I was very much into sports, and I also, you know, had a little lab in the basement and my first forte into inventing was going to the junkyard and getting a whole bunch of different pieces uh, that I could gather at the junkyard and, and try to uh, assemble things and uh, was a prolific reader from a young age. So uh, I have to credit my, my mom, uh, you know, in, we didn't know it at the time, but she was highly influencing us, uh, my brother, my sister and myself, uh, uh, to be lifelong readers. And the way she did it is she made reading a joy and, and made it a reward and made it something special. So there was this scholastic uh, reader, I think it was called, and it had a list of books that would be appropriate for different ages. And if we did our chores and, uh, you know, uh, got good grades or whatever the goal was, we'd get to order up to three books. We were really, really good in doing our chores, we we and we would look through there, and I would order books on ocean engineering or uh, sports. Or, and uh, every day, we when we knew that it was time for to come, we were rushing out to the mailbox to see if it <laughs> arrived. And when it arrived, we we cherished them. And uh, you know, I didn't realize at the time that she was changing reading from being uh, a chore that we didn't want to do because we had to do it to something that we loved to do. And, and that it fit, fit into our passion. And uh, uh, it was very clever because uh, she made us all three uh, overachievers and uh, early readers. And we- Oh, that's we, uh, awesome. Kudos to mom. That's really cool. So now you go into the high school, like what were the things where you like in the chorus or in the band or you playing sports? Like how do you wrap up before you get ready to go off to college? Yeah, I tried to play uh, both football and soccer in the fall months. And when I was in the younger years, I was pretty good at football. But then as uh, got bigger and bigger sizes and I was an average size, it was uh, harder to, to compete and be fast with everybody. Played uh, hockey in the winters and, and baseball in the, in the spring. And I was very much into, into sports. Oh, yeah. And, Minneapolis, uh, it seemed like the hockey would be a natural there. Yeah, and I was definitely in the bottom tier of quality of players in Minnesota when I played hockey. But then when I turned 20, I moved to uh, Florida and I joined an adult league. And all of a sudden I was in the upper 20% because uh, <laughs> Florida don't play hockey as well. So it's kind of <laughs> nice to go from the bottom tier to the top tier. And then I kind of liked it, Mark, because I was one of the good ones and scored more goals. And I, I kept playing adult hockey uh, uh, for 30 some years and still want to play, but I, 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 I was in the Santa Monica Beach League here. Uh, but now I live in uh, Southern Orange County. So I, I'm looking to find a new league. Well, you enjoy scuba diving too, don't you? I've seen that on your profile. I, I, I did get certified for scuba diving in Florida, enjoyed it very much. But my current passion that's similar is surfing. And uh, 
And in fact, uh, one of the things that I'm looking at the clock is if we can uh, finish this and if I can make it to get some waves in before. Uh, before <laughs> no, I'm going to have to hurry up. <laughs> so about 10 minutes from an amazing surfing beach. So then now you're wherever you're, you go off to school, you go to, to is the technical college first or did you go to Northern California first? I went to Anoka Ramsey Community College, and then I switched over to Anoka Technical College, and I got a diploma in international trade. It wasn't a bachelor's degree. It was a technical college diploma, and uh, that, that was, uh, you know, gave me a, a start to get a job and to get into to work. Uh, in that time period, I also attended a few semesters at the University of Minnesota, but then uh, baby came along and work. Uh, work had to be done and I just started uh, working like like crazy wow so then I think it sounds like you have a bit of your mom and your dad in you because she's got the reading in you but the engineering part so like you're, you're an entrepreneur and an engineer uh, but it's a lethal combination so and, and wise of you to get a trade first a trade more important than a degree because uh, you, you're placing a higher value on yourself. Again, I mean, that's probably the combination of the two of them. Because at this point, where are you, 20 years old, 21 years old, and you're you're carrying a trade around, so you're good to go. I, I started off in that work to represent makers of cardiovascular devices. I particularly represented small manufacturers, and I would try to help them get orders in the foreign markets, particularly the Middle East and the Far East. And after doing it for a while, it was kind of a bridge between the doctors who had drop off samples and say, hey, try this new product from this small company in the U.S. And then I would go back and say, you know, how did you like the product? And I would take a bunch of notes and they said, well, you need to improve this and you need to change that. And uh, they uh, they uh, I would go back to the engineers at the small company and, and bring the message from the market. And after, you know. Being in that bridge between the doctors and the engineers for a number of years, I started to get the hang of it and the understanding. And then eventually I had my own ideas about how to improve the products and uh, opportunity came and I, I entered into manufacturing cardiovascular balloon catheters and then uh, segued from that into development of the first stent graft for aortic aneurysm repair and the, and the first heart valve that could be placed without surgery. And obviously, I'm coming without a medical degree or even without an engineering degree. So I had to kind of earn my respect in the field. But I really just applied uh, common sense and, and just uh, trial and error and working really hard. And, and then luckily, after, after uh, I had a, a few successes, uh, the stent graft is the leading system in the world and now treated over 600,000 patients, 50% of all aortic aneurysms in the world are repaired with that particular invention. Uh, I, 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 people stopped asking if I had an engineering degree. So it was kind of, kind of lucky. That's, that's thrilling right there. And it just gives me shit that the consistency and the hard work is probably better than this, the name on the sheepskin. You know, it, the, the, the talent and the drive is there. That's why I said you're like, you're tenacious. This is phenomenal. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to, listening to Vince Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. Let's kind of fast forward then to what, some of what you're doing. So you have 
your uh, Life Science Accelerator program. Can you talk to me a little bit about what goes on inside of there? Because this is like, this is better than a think tank on a corporate level. It's like, where did you come up with this idea? And it's like, it's. I'll just let you share it with us. Well, it, 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 it's uh, hard to keep it short, but, uh, you know, one thing led to another. But uh, we, we had, uh, while we were working on the stent graft, I met with Dr. Stuart Williams, who I still work with today, who was head of the biomedical engineering program at the University of Arizona. He had a fellow at the time, Dr. Robert Keller, who also I still work with today. And this was 1994. And we were working together on trying to sell seed or sell sod, get stem cells to grow into the fabric of a stent graft. Because our thinking was, was if we do that, we will have a better healing process for the aortic aneurysm. And it, it was a little bit tough to get the stem cells to grow into either the Dacron or the EPTFE. And, and we started experimenting with hydrogels. But that, that, that was my first forte into the idea that stem cells have a place in healing. And after we sold the stent graft, we started to change our thinking that, you know, maybe we don't need to be putting metal and fabrics and plastics into people. Maybe we should just stick with the stem cells. And, and the, uh, I was flying to Brazil and I read a Scientific American article that said that endothelial progenitor cells could be used to repair damaged arteries. And it just hit me, you know, on that trip that this is the future. So uh, shortly after that, I started, you know, reading and and going further uh, in, that, in that direction. And I, I just had this common belief that we're made of living cells and our heart and our biological pacemaker, our heart valve, our arteries, our kidney, our liver, they're all made of living cells. And it just made common sense to me that it would be better to repair them the way that they're built in the first place than to try to put some kind of fabric in or try to get people to swallow artificial chemicals. It just made common sense to me. And you know, after I sold the stent graft, I had a, some capital to deploy to do whatever I wanted to do, and I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I decided to put together an innovation accelerator that focused on the convergence of bioelectrics and biologics. And somewhere in that process, I learned that if we combine the bioelectrics, which would particularly control protein expressions, with injections of stem cells, and then complement that with kind of an egg yolk, a gelatin that's full of a bunch of nutrients that stem cells love, that it would be better than doing any of those three things alone. And uh, basically, sort of like a cocktail. life work since the late, 19, late 1990s. And in 2001, May of 2001, I think it was May 26th. It, it was um, May 23rd. It was a major day that myself and team members, uh, Dr. Patrick Soroyes, Dr. Peter Smith, Dr. Uh, Eric Duckers, Dr. Doris Taylor, Warren Sherman, uh, Dr. Rajay Kumar, uh, we as a team completed the first non-surgical stem cell repair of a human heart. Uh, it, it, was, it was in the Netherlands and it was a lady that had a failing heart and we injected the stem cells in her failing heart and afterwards she had some improvement of her heart function. And uh, that was a magical experience and it was the dawn of a new era and ever since then, basically, we've been working to get better and better and better at regenerating organs with a combination of uh, biologics, including stem cells and uh, bioelectrics. It's just, now, the bioelectrics, 
does that have any kind of vibration going on in it? I mean, that is just intriguing. Like, cause you hear stuff about light therapy and things of this nature and that, you know, we're, we're mass, but we're all vibrating molecules and we're, we're moving energy continuously. So it's, it kind of sounds like it plays into some of that. Um, how similar is to what you're doing is it's this light therapy even like it at all or is it a, a, a same idea with a different approach well uh in 1985 the book body electric came out and i read it shortly after it came out and in, in around 1987 i called dr robert o becker the author of that book and we started to work together uh, uh it, 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 and he led a, a brand new field and what he had a historic paper where he chopped off a salamander tail and he had electrical measurement equipment and he wrote a famous line in a journal that basically said there must be an electrical phenomenon to regeneration because right before the tail goes back the electrical signal changes so there must be an electrical uh, aspect of regeneration uh, he didn't know at the time that what was happening is the stump of the cutoff tail was releasing proteins into the bloodstream and into the body of the salamander that was causing stem cells to recruit to the stump. And once enough stem cells had aggregated to that stump, the polarity of the signal would change, the voltage would drop, and it would go from the recruitment and proliferation mode to the differentiation mode. Those are fancy words that basically say, instead of it went from recruiting the stem cells to the site to changing the stem cells to grow a new tail. Well, it turns wow. out that that phenomena is true not only in uh, salamanders, but in, in every living being uh, on the planet, or, or, and certainly uh, every mammal. And if you scrape your knee, uh, electrical signal goes to the brain that says injury. The brain sends a very specific electrical signal back that tells the knee to start releasing SDF1 and PDGF, which are stem cell homing factors. Those homing factors go out and seep into the bloodstream and into the tissues and the stem cells that primarily uh, are found in the bone marrow. And if you scrape your knee, they're going to be found in the bone marrow of your thigh uh, bone. And they're going to percolate up when they get a sniff of that stem cell homing protein. And they're going to migrate to the source of it, kind of like a shark going after blood or a bloodhound or whatever analogy you want to do. They actually smell it and they migrate to the source, which in this case would be a scraped knee. And once a, a whole bunch of stem cells arrive to the scraped knee, they start to starve. And a different signal goes up that the brain says, hey, we're starving. We got so many deer in the forest here. We only have so many nutrients. We got to do something. And the brain says, uh, reverses the polarity, drops the voltage, and tells those stem cells to sniff around them what they're supposed to become, which is skin on the scraped knee, and grow a new layer of skin. You know, the body is miraculous and healing. So it goes into a healing process instantaneously. Your so body, when you get injured. Is, we just put some measurement equipment on scraping a knee and figured out that that was the stem cell homing signal. And we identified that STF1 and later identified that PDGF were being released from that signal. So we can put that signal on your knee and your knee thinks it's been scraped and it's going to start sending stem cells there. Oh, my and we cross that over to apply it to a heart where after a heart attack, 
you need a lot of stem cells to recover the damaged muscle that happened from the heart attack. And uh, for whatever reason, the body uh, only you know, releases that for about three days after a heart attack. And that's not enough to repair the large damage from a large heart attack. Uh, and so what we do is we just extend, amplify, and accentuate the natural signaling process that recruits stem cells to an infarcted heart, to a post-heart attack heart. And we get enough of them to get there to repair the, the damage. And uh, we, we, and it's, it's hard to fight heart failure. And other companies have spent billions and have failed. So to hedge our bet, we, we have a stimulator and then we have a pump. And that pump is under the skin and it runs to the damaged heart with a line. And we refill that pump that's just under the skin, either in the abdomen or up in the chest like a pacemaker. We poke the skin and fill the, through the silicon septum and refill that pump every day with the mixed composition of stem cells, particular kind of stem cells, which are called the myoblast or muscle stem cells that are programmed to become muscle. And then we, we support them with a whole bunch of nutrients. Uh, I won't give you the long list, but exosomes, <laughs> even amniotic fluid that we get from mothers, which is like a miracle grow. We put all that together and the combination of infusing the stem cells and the support factors, and then the bioelectric signaling that does a whole bunch of things that not only recruits stem cells, but it releases proteins to grow new blood vessels to feed that area. It also releases proteins to promote muscle regeneration, proteins like clotho and folistatin and IGF-1. And then if needed, it releases proteins that promote nerve regeneration. And all of this we've learned through trial and error and reading literature and collaborating with others. We made our first stem cell transplantation in an animal as a team with Dr. Ray Scow and Dr. George McGovern in Pittsburgh in 1988. It took us all the way from 1988 to go from large animals to the first human in 2001. And now here we are in 2021, and we're still working on perfecting it. But it, it's not an easy thing to, to conquer organ regeneration. And we're about to talk about cancer. Uh, do, you, do you want me to go how we got into cancer now? Yeah, I would love to hear Alan. this is, but this has been the basis of your research. You've been a primarily a heart or cardiovascular uh, innovator uh, for the majority of the time, but it's like you have these other things going on. Uh, it just give me a, cause I know we got waves coming here soon. <laughs> give me, yeah. give me a brief yeah. synopsis of your cancer uh, business and how that's going. And then we can kind of wrap it up. Well, to make a little bit of a segue, in, in 2008, we took BioHeart public, a $76 million NASDAQ IPO, 525 a share. Uh, I had left as CEO of BioHeart in March, uh, a year, year before the IPO, and we brought in Bill Pinion, a great guy that came from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, I just didn't want to be a public company CEO, which you have to go to New York a lot and give speeches to financial people. I wanted to get back in the lab and do what I love, which is innovation. And, and I, you know, recognize that uh, you're better off doing what you love to do. And, and also, you know, you can't be great at everything. And I, and I, th I thought Bill was a much better. He had the persona to make uh, a Fidelity fund manager feel comfortable with, with their money. And uh, I'm more of a renegade researcher and uh, like to do things uh, not the corporate way, more like uh, the Thomas Edison way, uh, who's one of my heroes. And... Uh, what, what, what happened during this time period, about 2005, I lost control of the voting interest of the company and, and uh, 
a bunch of people to put money in. They had board seats to be able to make the decisions for the organization. And typical of form, the technology people and the money people kind of were clashing on the direction of the company. I wanted to do what I just described, have a pump, have a stimulator, refill the pump with stem cells every day with a whole bunch of support factors like an egg yolk. They wanted to just inject stem cells one time with a catheter and that's it. And you know, I was arguing that what you're doing is good, but what we're going to do is, is going to be much better. And they said, oh, a stimulator, a pump, all these components, it sounds very expensive and very complicated. We just want to keep things simple. So no, you can't have your money. And when you talk to the IPO world, Infidelity Fund, don't even mention that stuff because it's just going to confuse them. Just tell them that we inject stem cells at one time and this is good. And it was good. Uh, so uh, I agreed to stay on through the IPO, but really I wanted to get out of there and work on what I wanted to work on because I could see the vision of where it's going in the future, which is what I described and still, still believe that that's it. So uh, we finished the IPO and right after the IPO, I moved from Florida to California and set up an innovation accelerator. And as you pointed out, I, I, I'd spent most of my time working on regenerating hearts. But the thought we had at the time is that all those years and all that money, learning how to work with nutrient hydrogen gel, learning how SDF1, learning muscle regeneration, learning basically organ regeneration, maybe that would apply to other organs. So we set up this innovation accelerator to not only improve the heart regeneration, which was our flagship goal, but also to possibly look at everything we learned, maybe it would help with hair regeneration, maybe it would help with liver or kidney. You know, mm -hmm. the heart isn't the only uh, organ that needed regeneration. So now race forward to 2021, we have 38 different applications of that core technology, that core IP. It's all the same stimulator, it's all the same pump, it's usually the same stem cell composition, but we basically call it something different. When we point it to the liver, we call it liver cell. When we point it to the kidney, we call it kidney cell. And our intent with the Innovation Accelerator is to be ultra-focused on one thing, organ regeneration and healing with the convergence of bioelectrics and biologics. And we stayed with that discipline, but a couple of things threw us off. One is while we were trying to get signals that would grow blood vessels into organs, uh, Dr. Genovese wrote back to me and said, the, the signals that you sent down, Howard, didn't work. And I said, what happened? And he said, they didn't grow blood vessels. In fact, it was even worse than that. The blood vessels that were there, it made them retreat away from the organ. And I came back to Jorge and I said, who still works with me today and is, is VP of Bioelectric Regeneration at the lab in Irvine, just uh, south of where I'm sitting. Uh, he said, uh, you know, that signal didn't work. We've got to find another one. But we started to think about it. If you had something that stopped blood supply to a tumor, and cause the blood vessels to retreat away from the tumor, maybe that would be good for cancer. And then the other thing that happened is we, we were trying to proliferate stem cells. We would recruit stem cells to an organ and proliferate is a fancy word that, said, that means multiply. And while we were trying to get the stem cells to multiply, we discovered a signaling set that actually did the opposite. And the same thing happened. Jorge, how did that work? Did we get the proliferation? Did we get the multiplication of the stem cells? Nope, sorry, that signal failed. What happened? I put it in the, the dish with the cells multiplying and the, the cells stopped multiplying immediately, completely. They just stopped. So throw that one out. That was a bad idea, Howard. And then I came back and said, all right, you know, stopping cells that are proliferating and out of control immediately to stop multiplying might be good for cancer. So we hit the patent office, wrote, we have a signal that stops cells from multiplying. We have a signal that starves tumors of blood supply. 
we later added a bunch of signals that changed the, the proteins on the surface of a tumor to get the body to attack it, uh, immunotherapy. And, and also we changed the electrical charge. So when the body, when the tumor is smart, it develops a cloak, kind of like an embryo does. So the mother's body doesn't attack the embryo. Well, well tumors learn to hijack that same technology and they, they create a protein expression that basically tricks the body into thinking that they're friendly and not to attack them. And we've learned with bioelectric signaling to turn off that cloak, to take away that protein cover, and then allow the body to go after and, and, and attack the tumor. So our current therapy, which is ironically that you're contacting me, we just received notice from the United States Patent Office after I think six years of prosecuting the patents that we're about to receive a new patent for tumor therapy that combines starving the tumor blood supply, changing the surface proteins in the charge so the body attacks it, and stopping the cells there from multiplying. And then after we do all that, we, we apply everything we learned uh, on the rest of our business to regenerate the organ. So if the cancer has damaged the liver or the kidney or the pancreas or the throat or, or, or the brain, we, we follow the removal of the tumor with the regeneration of the organ, which we also think is a, another way of treating cancer. Is not And uh, so now we have nine issued patents for bioelectric treatment of cancer. We found while we were typing into the patent office, you have to look at who else is out there. And we came across Eleanor Schuler uh, of New Mexico. Eleanor uh, used to be a man and, and became a woman. And uh, I forgot what her, uh, what her man name was, but we knew her as Eleanor. And uh, as soon as we read about what she had done, uh, we realized that she might have discovered some things that were even more important than what we had discovered. What she brought new was to read the cancer tumor and then custom design the biomedical signaling sequences based on the read. And she figured out that cancer tumors are smart and they change. So if you develop a therapy to try to attack them, they're gonna change to try to stay alive and you have to change your therapy to keep fighting them. Uh, and she focused on jamming the communication of the tumor. So if the tumor was communicating in 102.7 uh, hertz, uh, she would jam the 102.7 hertz, just like if the Japanese are coming into Pearl Harbor and they're talking to each other on 102.7 and you jam the 102.7, they can't talk to each other. They can't, they can't do what they want to do. And, and uh, so we wrote to Eleanor and said, uh, we you know, have read about your work and your patents. We greatly admire what you've done. And we'd like to combine together in one team. And uh, she had a team of business people and lawyers who represented her, and, uh, Luis Ortiz and Kermit Lopez. And uh, we uh, got together and became one company, which is now Cancer Cell Incorporated. And we combined all of her patents with our patents. And when you put those together, you know, we think we're about to make a major contribution in, in treating cancer. And we think bioelectric therapies, which again, starve the tumor blood supply, stop the cells from dividing, change off the cloak, jam the communication, they can do all of that in a far less toxic way than chemotherapy or radiation. And probably all of us, have, if we haven't experienced ourselves, uh, we've known somebody that has gone through chemo or radiation. And when you know somebody, you know how much they suffer and that the treatment is almost as bad as the problem. If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner. From East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not to the dirty South straight, make a left and body, body. Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. 
we're moving forward to do studies. Uh, we did a study at UCLA where we created tumors in mice and rats. And uh, unfortunately, I have to share with you that we failed. On our first try to cure cancer, we did not succeed. We only stimulated a half hour, twice a week for four weeks, and we were not able to stop the tumors from growing. So uh, luckily, like everything else, uh, we're not the only people to think of bioelectric treatment for cancer. And there's a company called Novacure out there that has become the world leader. I think they're worth $14 billion or something like that, or between six and 14. And they've uh, gone with three different electromagnetic signals. And they particularly went after glioblastoma and a very aggressive brain cancer. And they showed by delivering those signals to the brain cancer, they get better results than chemo or radiation. Wow. Then there's another company called Pulse Biosciences that's using electromagnetic therapy for treating skin cancer. And they've also had some successful results. And from a business point of view, shot up to close to $600 million valuation. And uh, we're learning from their experience. And one of the things they taught us is uh, Novacure treats anywhere between 18 and 24 hours a day. And we were trying to succeed by only treating half hour twice a week. They basically treat 24 hours every day. So now we're going back into the animals again. This time we're going to do what Novacure did and treat 24 hours a day and see if we get if we get better results. Wow. This is amazing stuff you're onto here, Howard. Thank you. This is just absolutely amazing. The, the era of which we live in and to do the non-invasive where it, it's about healing and then reconstructive. But I, I wanted to ask you a question about that. When you were met, the methodology sounded like you had like a different arrangement of ingredients. When the um, healing begins the process of growing the organ back, is that similar? Or like, is that any different? Or is it just happening in a natural process? Because now those stem cells are, have been made, you know, available in that area to heal. Well, the, the body itself, as I explained earlier, communicates through bioelectric signaling. In fact, even when you're being developed in the womb, it's bioelectric signaling messages that tell your heart to go into heart, your liver to go into liver. And those are, that's like a computer instruction that tells cells to do what they need to do. And, and, it, it, and what our bioelectric signaling sequences do, basically it's an instruction to a DNA to build RNA that produces a protein, or it's an instruction to a cell membrane that causes uh, channels to open or close that either let something in or let something out that needs to be let in or out. So we're basically giving instructions for healing with, with a computer program in the body. And that computer program communicates with cells through bioelectric signaling. And, and that, you know, we're learning as we go along. And, and uh, you know, this it is- just triggers the process. Science. That sounds amazing. And uh, our particular expertise is is developing signals for specific protein expressions. And a, a lot of the things we do, it starts when, uh, when we learn that somebody else injected something with a needle and syringe and it worked. And then we go in and see if we can get that particular protein that was beneficial to be naturally expressed in the body by bioelectric stimulation. It, it, uh, and you know, each signaling sequence has a different purpose. Now, the there isn't necessarily a direct correlation between organ regeneration and cancer treatments. These are different signals. We just discovered the signals by mistake while we were trying to regenerate organs and that, that we never intended to enter, enter cancer. In fact, we were saying, all we're gonna do is stay focused. We don't, don't wanna get spread too thin. We're only gonna work on organ regeneration and we're not gonna 
be distracted to do anything else. But my mother passed away of cancer. My stepmom passed away of cancer. And when we stumbled on some things that could possibly help with cancer patients, we just couldn't resist uh, going off of our core focus on organ regeneration and healing. And one way that we justified is that after we remove the cancer, we think there's a very important place for organ regeneration and healing in a post-cancer organ. And that's, and we also think that part of the treatment of treating cancer is to focus on the healing side and, and, and managing inflammation, uh, things that will not only get the person over cancer, but will prevent the cancer from reoccurring. Our most recent patents before the, uh, or patents issued last month were on customized modulation of inflammation. And there's a lot of theory that people that have chronic inflammation are more susceptible to cancer than those that are not. And then we're discovering other things that uh, clotho, clotho is this magical protein that uh, in best terms is, is related to aging. And as you get older and your clotho, circulating clotho depletes, everything that can happen bad starts to happen. And if you can find a way to keep your clotho level up, you can, at least in theory, and we're working to prove that, you can stave off. But there is a connection that's been established that if you're low in clotho, you have a higher risk of cancer. If you're low in clotho, higher risk of high blood pressure. If you're low in clotho, you're not going to be managing your inflammation as well. Even things, if you're low in clotho and go out in the sun, you're more apt to have cancer and skin damage from the sun than if you're at normal or high levels of clotho. I could go on and on. It's, it's amazing. So we've developed a, a, a bioelectric suit that looks like a yoga suit or a wetsuit. And it's filled with electrodes that release signals that increase your circulating clotho. And we're hoping to prove that 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 extends life, improves health. Amongst other things, clotho helps you regenerate muscle. If you're exercising, it'll help you generate more muscle when you're exercising with oh the suit on out. You know, these are things that we all have to prove with significant studies. But if you type clotho in Google after this call and anything, clotho muscle regeneration, clotho inflammation, clotho cancer, you will find uh, backing for everything that I just, just said. Uh, obviously, uh, we're not the only ones doing research in this area, but it, it's kind of become our uh, favorite uh, protein expression. And uh, we filed what we know to be the only bioelectric signaling sequence that's able to increase circulating clotho. And we've proven in humans that just stimulating as little as an hour, two times a week, we can increase your circulating clotho by as much as 150%. In the laboratory, we've established we can increase it more than 500%, but in, oh, yeah. in actual humans, 150%. Wow. Wow. Howard, you're just like an encyclopedia of information. You're fantastic. Let me let me do this because I don't want to I don't want to take up all your time. We could talk about some of this stuff for hours i want to ask you a few quick questions they'd probably be easier for you to answer um in your life who would you say has been your biggest influence in uh influences in my life did you say yeah well my mom and dad you know have to be on the top of any of those lists they're both incredible hard workers uh, all of us kids learned work ethic i mentioned learning reading my father was also a prolific reader but my mom kind of led us down that reading path. So I have to put them on, on that list. 
I mentioned Thomas Edison, you know, I've studied his life work and his trials and tribulations and difficulties in developing the inventions. And he truly is a hero to me. Walt Disney uh, read and reread and reread, reread again his life story. And every time I read it, I'm inspired with his vision and, and what he and what he represents. And to me, he represents not giving up when people don't believe in what you're doing and not giving up when you have major setbacks. And we all have setbacks and we all have our distractors and he's developing Snow White and nobody believed that people would watch a two hour cartoon. He believed that they would and, and he, he was proven to be right. Uh, and and uh, Stephen Jobs, uh, you know, he's a modern day hero. You know, all of us innovators love the fact that Stephen Jobs, his story represents the innovator kind of overcoming the, the money folks. And we don't have a problem with money folks, but what we do have a problem with is when the money folks uh, try to dictate to the innovators uh, the direction of the innovation. Uh, there's a place for the finance people to exercise good judgment and in investments, but uh, we like it much better when the innovators prove that investing in, you know, breakthrough innovation uh, and, you know, the summary of the Steve Jobs story that touches me is that that board wanted them to follow IBM, make computers like IBM. And we all know Steve Jobs had this vision that has turned into it, has become the most valuable company in the world. And that vision was they were selling experience. They were selling a thousand songs in your pocket with iPod. They were selling uh, the, the vision that you use this tool to change the world. And they created a brand that touched people like me. I'm talking to you on an Apple computer and it's not because there's no other computer, but it's because that brand inspired innovation and, uh, and, and Steve Jobs, you know, was a testimony to uh, you're not just a computer company, you're a company that, that is doing amazing innovations to make people's lives better. And, and certainly Apple, you know, has, has proven that. If you have a story to share, tell us. How are you going to leave your mark? Contact us. Leave your mark with our host, Vince Cortez. Be our guest. You bring so many of the thoughts. Uh, I, I I could talk to you all day long. Let, let me ask you a quick other things. What would you consider the best compliment you've ever received? On that list, I left off Richard Branson and I left off the 14th Dalai Lama. And both of those gentlemen, I've got to spend uh, time with. Uh, Richard Branson, I was so lucky in Aspen, Colorado, one magical day. Uh, I ran into him and uh, we, we ended up spending uh, almost a whole day together. And I asked him for advice on uh, being an entrepreneur. And, uh, and that advice ended up weighing heavy on me. From that day in 2011 forward, what he taught me in that day, I've tried to apply into building our, our, our businesses. And, and, uh, and I greatly admire that he has humility and he treats the janitor and the secretary and the shipping clerk with the same respect he treats the Queen of England, who he's met and been honored by many times. And I saw that in practice. Uh, uh, he tells us to uh, take our, uh, his wife and our, uh, our gals to the wine tasting. And we get there and we don't have the VIP pass. He has the VIP pass. And, and I say, you know, I'm going to go get my own VIP pass. He said, no, you take mine. He gave me his. <laughs> Richard Branson says on it. And, and he went to go wait in line to get the VIP pass. And, and there was a line there. And he doesn't say, you know, do you know who I am? I'm going to bypass the line. He patiently waits in line. He buys it with his money like anybody else. 
uh, and, 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 you know, the guy at the gate says, you can't get in without a pass. He doesn't argue. And, and it was just humility and kindness and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's more than being a good business person and being a good person. And, and to be able to keep that despite being a billionaire, you know, as an example, you know, to me. And then the 14th Dalai Lama, uh, I was on the Florida International University Foundation Board. I learned that he was going to be speaking there. I got myself into the welcome breakfast. I got to sit right across from him. And uh, his humility, uh, you know, touched me as well. And, and uh, uh, he wasn't full of himself. He was just full of joy and kindness. And uh, at the table, somebody asked him, in a challenging way, it was the head of religious studies. And he said, you know, do you really think you're the reincarnation of the Buddha? And I, as well as some of the other people at the table were thinking, God, this is a friendly breakfast. Like that's way too challenging of a question. <laughs> you know, and uh, we felt uncomfortable, but he closes his eyes for a second. We're waiting to see how he reacts. And he kind of laughs and he says, I don't know. And, it, and then he goes on to say, you know, I don't know how I got thrown into this. You know, I'm a little kid and they brought me in a place and said, point to some things. And they get all excited because I pointed to some things. And he said, you know, when I first got reintroduced to the teachings, I, I felt like I already knew them because they were common sense. But he said, a lot of people say that. He said, like, I'm not special. Like a lot of people say when they learn the teachings, it feels like they already knew them. So he said, you know, I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm here. I can tell you, I believe in the teachings and I believe, you know, that, that passing these teachings on, you know, can be good. And I'm just trying to do the best that I can in the role that I'm in. And, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. And, and it was like such a expression of humility and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, made me want to be a better person. This is tremendous. Now, this is, a, you probably do have a billboard. This question is, is if you had a billboard and you could put anything on it, what would it say? Put anything on a billboard? Yeah. Well, uh, be grateful would be one. Spread love would be another. Be kind would be another. Dream big. I uh, could find a lot of things to put on the bill, billboard. And uh, Philip Oshels, uh is the primary financer of values.com and uh, foundation for a better life. He does put up billboards and uh, uh, I admired those billboards. One of them, you know, showed Thomas Edison and talked about, you know, not giving up and the, the famous story of, uh, you know, failing 9,000 times and succeeding the 10,000s. And, and uh, 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 you know, there's another person I admire that uh, he's the owner of the LA Kings that won the Stanley Cup as well. Uh, but, but he takes a big part of his own money. I think a billion dollars a year doesn't get anything out of it other than spreading non-denominational inspirational messages on billboards and bus stops. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, he does it in a way that's not challenging. Like it's not religious. It's not trying to put oh, it's cool. religion on something. It's just inspirational. And, uh, I like that. If I ever got to his uh, wealth, I would, uh, maybe join in with them. All right. Well, I want to ask you, as I ask all guests, how would you like to leave your mark in this world? How would you like to be remembered? You've got one incredible body of work, and it, this might be difficult for you to pull one thing out of this. So uh, take your time here with that. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say. 
Well, life mission, as you've heard, is to, to be an innovator in organ regeneration and healing. And I'm you know, very much trying to live up to that. Uh, I do, I've always set aside, I, I got to meet John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods as part of the Conscious Capitalism Society. Another dinner that I had that was one that I'll never forget in my life. And he, he influenced me that I, I had come out of the experience of selling the stent craft and I was giving money and philanthropy over a million dollars in the year that I met him to different causes. A lot of it given to universities because I believe in education. Uh, and uh, uh, the Conscious Capitalism Society was basically bringing the idea that social good impact investing is more like teaching somebody to fish than just giving them a fish. And they really got through to me that that kind of giving is maybe a, a more permanent way of giving than just giving money away. And so I dedicated that from that point forward, 10% of whatever I get from any endeavor of business, I want to put into social good impact investing. So that, you know, that, that's also a mark. And it started down the road of creating a social good impact media network. We have the Kindheart Lionheart TV network, and we started to create a new stock exchange called the California Stock Exchange. And our company owns the trademark to the California Stock Exchange. And we met with a bunch of people and listened to them and asked how could we make a better stock exchange. And uh, uh, it, it, eventually we want to do that. And uh, my plan right now is to sell some of these biotech medtech inventions that are getting close to sell. You know, that's my day job and that's what I know how to do. And then I plan to use the big proceeds of the, some of the sales of those inventions uh, to just plow into the developing the California stock exchange. And the idea of the California stock exchange is basically Doing good is not just good for good's sake, it's good business. And what we mean by that is that if you invest in companies where the ownership cares about the employees, cares about the community, has a sense of purpose that basically results in everybody coming to work every day, excited to work there because the company's doing great things in a great way and they're treating their people well and they're treating their environment well. And they're not just harshly focused on the profits of that quarter, they're focused on a long-term implementation of a vision and purpose that leads to doing something good in society. And in so many ways, most businesses are rewarded by doing something good. They provide something that's more convenient for people, something that makes their lives better. And so almost all businesses have some kind of social good impact. But uh, what we want to do is develop a stock exchange where we curate those companies that that do really try to be good for their employees and good for their community and have a sense of purpose and evaluate them on that standard and then direct people to invest who believe in that vision. And, and we think that, you know, it all comes to customers, but if your employees are jazzed and excited and love their company and love the mission and vision and the way the company's managed, we think that that translates to the customers having a better experience. We've all, you know, had a customer experience where you could clearly tell the person that's serving you doesn't like their company, doesn't like their product, doesn't believe in the vision and wishes mm. they weren't even there at all. And that affects your customer experience. And uh, we think that investing in companies that do things right, as I described, actually is a better investment in the long run. I would throw in there that we're going to evaluate them on a, on a culture of innovation, because I think a culture of innovation where you let everybody from the janitor to the secretary, to the production worker, participate in the opportunity to 
innovate the product to make it better, or maybe it's even innovating a process to improve the quality, but have a stake in making it better for the customer that, that you're going to have a better company. So we're going to evaluate these companies on the kind of innovation culture and that they promote innovation throughout the entire company. We're also going to look at things like diversity. You know, we think it's a better company that embraces women in the workplace and minorities in the workplace and on their, on their boards. And we kind of uh, give a bad mark if we see all white-haired, gray-haired guys like me on the board of directors and, and not anybody else. Uh, obviously, I could go on for a while about that, but those, those are some big ones. Uh, Social Good Impact TV Network, Social Good Impact Stock Exchange, and Organ Regeneration and Healing. And uh, in addition to that, just want to be a great uh, father and a great uh, grandfather, a good husband, a good friend, a good son, a good uncle. Uh, those things uh, mean a lot to me as well. Tremendous. Wow, what an inspiration, Howard. Just your your mind is an amazing thing. And it just, you're on a mission. It's it's incredible to watch you go. Uh, I think your, your best days are still ahead of you. You're just tenacious. And I can feel from you, you're on the edge of um, more breakthroughs to come. You can just feel it. It's just coming off of you. So I want to thank you for your precious time. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, I could talk to you all day long. There's so many things I'd like to ask you uh, that, that you incorporate in your daily life and things of that nature, but we just didn't have time for it. Um, you might be able to catch some waves. I don't know if I held you ever too long, but uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Fitz, we know each other from your work in uh, in media and and uh, in developing your own businesses, and and I know fashion is a passion of yours. But uh, the kindheartlineartv.com, I, I I think you know that's a that's a, a venture that we have that would interest you. And when you get a chance, uh, take take a look at it. And uh, maybe it's not appropriate in a podcast, but I would like to uh, engage you to be an advisor to Kindheart Lionheart uh, Social Good Impact uh, TV Network. That, uh, that would very, be fantastic. Uh, yeah, we need to be network right now, but we have aspirations to be uh, much better. Yeah, no, that would I would I would love to, to hear more about that. Find out what's going on. See if I could help out. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Leave Your Mark today. Tune into our next episode of Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez.